January 13th in Alberta, a cold, dreary day. At 3.30 in the afternoon, everyone with a smartphone received a very, very annoying notification on their phones with a sound that was like dumb and dumber, most annoying sound in the world. On that notification, it was a critical alert. It said, extreme cold resulting in high power demand has placed the Alberta grid at a high risk of rotating power outages this evening. It went on to talk about some things you could do to reduce your demand. Interestingly, you may have been listening to the Harmonious Gentleman during that time because this came out the same day that the last episode about climate change came out on January 13th entitled how's everyone feeling about climate change these days a critical alert is defined as an immediate threat to life within an hour this episode of the harmonious gentleman is brought to you by our friends at blind man brewing makers of central alberta's best craft beer purveyors of delicious tacos and hosts of all kinds of harmonious fun They don't like to brag about it, but they've won Brewery of the Year in Alberta and Best in Show at the Canadian Brewing Awards. Head to Lacombe and check them out. Well, if podcast episodes were an exaggerated amount of effort a person might put forward, often for a sporting event, as expressed in a percentage, you'd know this has to be episode 110 of The Harmonious Gentleman. I'm Chris. I'm Tyler. And I'm Graham. And as a math teacher, we always talk about this. Like, it's uh-huh. 110% even possible. No. Well, it is in certain things, it but is. not in the, in the amount of effort you can give. For sure. But it, it is a, it is a, you can use it in many contexts and it's fine. Right. Yeah. Like 110% growth in the GDP or something like that. Sure. Yeah. But not but can, something but can, you can do. Yeah. Can you give 110% of your effort? Maybe as compared to the effort you gave in a previous game, I suppose, if mm, you're comparing, comparing it. Tyler, do you ever compare things? <laughs> I compare things all the time. Nice. Good to see you. <laughs> so what's the ambiance today, Tyler? What's going on? Well, yeah. We're in a coffee shop in Olds. Yeah. And it's called Bean Brokers. Bean Brokers. Yeah. And my coffee is very good. So shout out to Bean Brokers. Yeah, nice job. Good Americano. So this is the follow-up to my first, uh, the climate talk episode that we did a little while back. And um, I'm really happy and excited and thankful to be welcoming our guest to this episode, Kenton. Yeah, here I am. He's back. He's been on the show before, uh, but this is like kind of cool that you're here to talk about something that you know a lot about. And we've been wanting to do this for a long time, I think, Kenton, in some capacity, this yeah. topic. I mean, the word a lot is relative, sure. <laughs> uh, I am, which is what I wanted to say as part of my intro. I have been working in the industry for 18 years. Yeah. However, I still don't consider myself an expert, nor am I speaking on behalf of the industry mm. or my employer. I am That's purely speaking on behalf of Kenton and Kenton's opinions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And... Um, in the last podcast on climate change on January 13th, you mm-hmm. asked the gents a question about what they think the average Albertan thinks about this topic. And it was difficult to answer because, of course, there's a massive spectrum of yeah. opinion. And, mm-hmm. and But I am an example of an average Albertan and one that does get personally um, invested in it because of the, the, my presence in the industry and my employment in the industry. Um, so I'm average. 
We'll just keep the expectations nice and low on this podcast. <laughs> and um, I'm also within the harmonious gentleman's budget. So we yes, win, that's right? True. So yeah. yeah, finally. Right within. Yeah. And I, I do want to point out, um, because we're not this is not a visual medium, but Kenton did wear our t shirt to this yeah. meeting today. He's I did. Originally winning hearts and changing minds. <laughs> yeah. Also we were referred to as gentlemen, unbeknownst to the lady yes. who served us at the counter that we were the harmonious gentlemen. Yeah. But she said, can I put this coffee down over there for you gentlemen? Mm. And, and I got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> I did tell her after that that's what our podcast is called. Oh, did she you? went, oh, really? okay. <laughs> and the sign Real creative. on the bathroom says gentlemen. Right. Yeah. It's meant to be. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. Okay. But speaking of the last time I was here. Yeah. I, pop quiz for you guys. Seeing how well you know your, remember your previous podcast. Okay. When was I on your podcast last? We were in, uh, I think we were in Airdrie. Yeah. At a brewery type place. And we were talking to, I can't Dexton? remember his name. Dason? Dason. Dason. Yes. And you, inter- right? you helped That's introduce right. us to a guest who talked about a former membership in a Mormon church. Correct. Yeah. That was a great podcast. That was episode 77 entitled Death to the Gentleman. Oh, no. Sorry. Wait a second. Dason and the ex-Mormon yeah. something. That was, was that one. Yes. Was it Was it in the 70s though? But there might have been, you might have been on an episode just your voice one time too. Yeah. So I, the reason I, I mixed that up is because I recorded that yeah. with you guys That's during right. that time. That's right. At, it was actually at Angry Bear Growlers right. in yeah. Airdrie. You might but not then have. it aired the next episode right. on 77, mm-hmm. which was the death to the gentleman, grief, pine boxes, and mushroom suits. Oh, cool. okay. You might not have been on the previous episode, just been there. I was just there to do that yeah. little but five minute. I need a little mini podcast in your podcast. That's yeah. right. Thanks for the for getting us in touch with Dacey because that was one of my favorite episodes, I think, to record yeah. and produce. Yeah, that was great. You guys have such a good backlog and library now. It's actually really nice, really fun to go back and reminisce yeah. with like some of these episodes that you guys have done in the past that yeah. were really awesome. Well, we've talked we've talked about too, like we do part two. Like we've you know, we only cover things so far. So it's kind of fun to maybe go back and revisit topics. Well, another day. way to say this episode is the eleventieth. This is our 11th episode, so that's kind of sweet. Yeah. We're into the 11ths. And my last bonus pop quiz question yeah. for you guys is, what notable presence did I have on your podcast before that? Well, you emailed the show. No. You never did? I actually never did. Wow. But I did something different that was notable. You did an audio, like an audio submission. Oh, yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Better than an email. Yes. I think the We're, only audio submission we've ever received. Yeah, no one ever picked up yeah. on that trend, did they? <laughs> it's so easy to do. Like anyone can do it with their phone and yeah. yeah. Hey, if you're out there and you want to be the second, do it. Yeah. yeah. Still an opportunity for an honorable mention. Yeah. And it could lead to an appearance on a full episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. look where that's it's gotten me. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. High places. You wouldn't even let us buy you the coffee, so you, they didn't even do that. Ken, before we jump into our first segment here, did you have anything you want to say just sort of beforehand? Or should we just kind of get ready and just go for it? Like you, I know you, I knew you said the things about this is Kenton's opinion, right? And that was important to the mention disclaimer. that. Disclaimer. The, the legal yeah, stuff disclaimer. is out of the way. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the important stuff. That's the important so are, stuff. Are we kind of ready to jump in? Are we ready to kind of start? I guess if just if and the audience wants to know, like I call myself an example of mm-hmm. an average Albertan, but like what is that? It's pretty undefined. But if I give you a few characteristics about myself, maybe you'll know where I'm coming from. Sure. And I'm even willing to like, I always like this idea of putting your biases on the table before you start a discussion. So 
and I have said I'm employed by the industry, so obviously I benefit from that. Yeah. But I will say I'm also a science-minded kind of guy, right? So that's, and, and politically I think I'm fairly moderate. I'm fairly central. So um, that's sort of where I am. I'm uh, also a family guy. I have a wife and four daughters. Um, in case the audience hasn't figured it out, Graham and I are our brother, brother-in-laws. Yeah. And so we do family stuff together mm-hmm. and um, yeah, live otherwise a pretty normal Albertan happy life. Yeah, when I think about the early years of getting to know you, I remember uh, talking about the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe quite often, that mm. podcast. One of the earlier podcasts I was really yeah. deep into and yeah. all science and skepticism and it was great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, that's your biases. That's who you are. Tyler, who are you? People know me already. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, let's have a little sip of coffee and then we'll kind of hit the ground and see what happens. Awesome. This segment is brought to you by Cilantro and Chive. Delicious and creative dishes, a huge variety of locally crafted drinks, and building community in Red Deer and Lacombe. They're the gents' favorite place to grab a bite. So, Kenton, you began the episode by talking about our electrical grid issue that we had. What was the date again? January 13th. 13th. 3.30 p.m. 3.30 p.m. Is that when the text was sent out? That's when everyone got oh, the alert. Oh, it was later than that. Okay. Um, and so you and I chatted before this, and we figured that was a nice place to start the episode, discussing that. Yeah, well, let me ask you guys. When you saw that alert come in, if you remember it, what like what was going through your head? What did you think was happening? What was your perception of what would be going on to generate that alert? Well, it was... People probably, if, if you're from Alberta, you would remember it was extremely cold, right? Like, that, that was right in the middle of really cold weather. I think in the intro you mentioned that there was some suggestions as to like the actions you could take to limit your usage. So when I looked at that list of options, I mean, there was little things I could do. So we, me and my wife, we made small adjustments, but it was also minus 50 outside. So we didn't do all the actions. So we, I wasn't, I maybe wasn't as worried as I should have been. But um, I think your question's more like, what do we know about the electrical grid? Is that kind of what you're... What was happening at that time with the grid? So I think, yeah, we were putting a lot of strain on it because people all over the province are trying to heat their homes. And But I, my question is, the one thing I, I don't know is how much of our electrical grid is reliant on what source. So that's kind of what I'll wait to hear from you. But my re- initial reaction was... Oh man, like this seems serious, but mm-hmm. it's also minus 50. I'm not going to shut down yeah. everything <laughs> in my house, yeah. but I mean, we didn't use the micro, we didn't use the oven. We didn't, some of the actions we, we took. I, I thought a little bit about like when it first happened, it was like, we've had these cold snaps before. So I, i I figured that we normally can handle whatever stresses we're putting on the grid so i just assumed that something wasn't working right that there was a plant that was down or something i just assumed there was there was an unforeseen problem that would then require the text to be sent out do you know what i mean like i i I didn't think it was just our grid not being able to handle it i just thought there were extenuating circumstances that put that additional pressure on us also we have a hot tub and we were like should we turn this thing off because it's trying to keep this thing hot outside when it's minus 40 and we felt guilty and we didn't turn off. Chris, did you, um, at least, did you at least turn it down? We, uh, no, we didn't use it. Okay. Because when you keep the top on, it, it does retain its heat much, much better. Right. Uh, we also turned every other light we could off. We did, we did what we could. Yeah. 
But the hot tub, that's a tricky one because if because I don't want it to freeze. But it wouldn't have frozen overnight right. one night. So we actually, I feel a little guilty. We probably could have done a little more when it comes to the hot tub. But, but I'll tell you what, though, the announcement, like when I read it to my kids, they were like full board, running around the house, turning off lights. They really got into it. It was, it was nice. Well, when the, like those, uh, my experience with those alerts is that it's usually a missing child or like a parent has taken a kid over the border or something. So when it was the announcement was about the power grid, I was like, oh, I didn't know we did these things things for that that was sort of a surprise we were at friends houses a friend's house who was running a load of laundry at the time so they shut off the dryer and my mom phoned almost immediately and said i've turned off all my lights i have some candles on but my car is plugged in do you think i should unplug it i said no mom it's like minus 50 or 48 or whatever keep like keep your car plugged in so that you have if you have to go somewhere tomorrow morning you can um but yeah, then I watched the hockey game. I'm pretty sure is what I did yeah. that afternoon. Yeah. With a fan in your face. <laughs> but we turned off all the lights. Five electric heaters. <laughs> five electric heaters, yeah. I, I actually heard from someone, and I don't know, like this is just hearsay, but they were very in touch with the grid, like because they, they're, like they, they own a greenhouse. And so they're always very aware of what's going on with their power source and if it yeah it'd be a big deal if they were to lose power so they're in touch with that and then they saw somewhere or they heard or they were shared that after that alert the usage dropped 40 percent or something which when when hearing the little things we did that was surprising to me that across alberta all these people doing these little things like turning off the dryer right turning off some lights leaving your hot tub on because it's not like we're turning off giant but that there was like a big response which i found interesting i can can quantify that for you sure yeah wasn't near that but it was still meaningful okay oh what was was there a percentage or or is there let me get there okay let me get there i don't want to spoil the end of the story oh that's the end that's that's the that's the (laughs) what what actually happened can we still feel proud of ourselves for being a small part of something that helped you can and you should okay except for graham (laughs) (laughs) okay so tyler you kind of asked like you know what went into that what are some of the numbers that go into that so i can give you a little bit of that context so so leading up to that event alberta was actively and regularly breaking megawatt records for all-time consumptions in across the province the the days leading up or the months or yeah so like two days before that we broke the record um so that number is 12,384 megawatts was the peak usage so just to give you in a a day or in an hour megawatts is a was a point in time snapshot of how much we're using oh at that time you're using at a moment we spiked there's times we spiked up to that record wow so normal just to give you some context like right now on a half minus six winter day during the day we're probably using between 10 and 11,000 megawatts um, so it, it's peaking up to then was actually quite a bit higher. What was peak again? You said uh, twelve thousand okay. plus. Okay. So and, and what you got to know about the electrical grid is it's a very finely tuned balanced system, right? It's we don't store, we don't have a lot of buffer for storage, so everything we produce gets used, and production is always matching supply and demand are always perfectly balanced at any given moment. So it, the thing is, if you all of a sudden exceed your ability to meet demand with your supply but even a little bit you 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 will have outages and you have to intentionally turn stuff off mm-hmm. to preserve the, right. the integrity of the rest of the grid so um and again okay i'm no expert i'm not speaking on behalf of aso which is the alberta electrical um, operator 
for the yep. for the grid. But this is just my understanding and my research on it. So, okay. can you um, give me the numbers again? Yeah. So eleven. So normal usage, like on probably right now, I could go on there. You can go on their website, by the way. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm sure we can see their active, all the all the sources, everything. But if you look right now, I'm guessing it's somewhere between ten and eleven thousand megawatts. You can look that up, Chris, and we'll see. But I'm just doing some yeah. quick math here because Tyler knows why. <laughs> yeah. Because this sounds like exactly like 110 percent of a typical. <laughs> power grid like it was 10 percent more than normal yeah essentially yeah. which yeah. is a lot which yeah. when you first said that between 10 and 11 versus 12 it doesn't sound doesn't sound a lot but it, but that's close to 10 percent that that's a, that yeah. is a lot it's like and those are huge numbers to begin with uh, yeah like climate change because it's supposed yeah. to the- thematically sure. sort of tie into that at some point like half oh degree. one de- one and a half degree higher doesn't sound like a lot no but it's it's when you have these precariously balanced systems yeah. where inputs and outputs have to really yeah. balance themselves out constantly a little bit can tip the balance in a very powerful way even yeah. if it's just a little bit right so. so are those the output is that always based on what the predicted regular usage is so we know what that is that's what the yeah whatever is creating power in alberta is tuned to exactly that that's my understanding like they know yeah. okay. very well exactly what the usage is and the demand is at any given moment and it's a these are big enough numbers that you flipping on your dryer doesn't Right. They don't have to pull a bunch of levers in the power plant. Oh, exactly. Chris is doing laundry. Oh, Graham jumped in the hot tub. <laughs> and pull some more levers in the hot in the plant. Oh, thank goodness. I thought that was true. So thank you. But Dang. anyway, so just again to, to lay out some context here um, of what was happening at that moment, we we have renewables as well as part of our base power load. Actually, no, I, I, I used the wrong word there. As our variable power, not base load. Base load is power that will run no matter what. Mm-hmm. So. In, in, in Alberta, cool. most of our base power is gas. Yeah, the majority of it is gas. We can produce up to eleven thousand megawatts purely on gas. Okay. Okay. Only eight hundred megawatts, thankfully, on coal. Coal is a much oh, dirtier. Really? And uh, that surprises. Does that surprise you? Phased out coal entirely. This uh-huh. is why we need an update to our curriculum in our schools, because I know there's textbooks where coal is much higher than that. Yeah, and that's. 25, 30 years. Yeah. Anyway, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So we're almost done with coal, but it is still there and it is still running a little bit. And 800 is not nothing. And because it's base load, it's, it's important in situations like this. Yes. Right. Because at that time, and I went back and checked the numbers, we were using about 1% of our renewable power. So 1% of our grid was, was being given renewable sources of electricity at that moment during that time frame okay yeah so we had a like if you remember like there was everything was calm there was almost no wind now most of our wind generation comes from southern alberta yeah but at minus 30 they all wind turbines shut down they're not meant to run colder than minus 30. okay Hmm. so we basically had almost no wind we had a little bit of solar but our solar is very small anyway relative to wind and, we and they, had, know, they know all this, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like in yeah. these periods of time, yeah. they're prepared for that. And but. so, so that, but that was a contributing factor. Yeah. And then on top of that, we we will import power from other provinces if we run into pinch points, but they were largely in the same situation. Right. So, you know, and there were some maintenance activities, planned shutdowns, and things like that that were happening. And so it was just it was a perfect storm of 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 everything I just talked about that created a shortfall of 200 megawatts. Oh, wow. Out of the 12,000 
we're 200 short. 200 short meant that we generated that critical alert to all Albertans wow. and would have caused wow. rolling blackouts. So I was wrong. Like nothing actually went like went wrong. Right, like, like a plant didn't all of a sudden. Nothing, nothing catastrophic like, went wrong. Did all the normal stuff, but just Is, all those things happen at the same time. That's my understanding. Up. Interesting, based on the research. So, I did. Um, like when yeah. it's that cold, I'm guessing we do use more power. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so that also is putting a strain on. Yeah. 100%. So that's happening. We're using less renewables. Our neighboring provinces can't have as much to share. Wouldn't do, they, couldn't. they couldn't share electricity with us. Wow. Two hundred. Two hundred megawatts. Oh. Short, but that's so, because it's again, it's a finely tuned, balanced system. That yeah. any shortfall is is a big deal. Like they will have to black out. And stuff. how much wow. time do they have between that alert and like High River is going to lose its electricity? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know like what that would have looked like. Did they do any blackouts? Answer is no. Albertans responded. So this is sort of the happy ending Yay. to the story. And we, they, we actually achieved the 200 megawatt reduction. So it wasn't yeah. the kind of percentages you're talking about. Yeah. But we, we, got, we took the edge off. And you got to remember, like, the electrical usage in Alberta, like, residentials only use, and I don't have that percentage in front of me, but, like, industry and large consumers across the, the province use up a bulk of the electricity. Sure. So we as individuals can only contribute so much. Right. And and but it was just enough. But two hundred seems like something. It was just enough to actually take the pressure off. And so it worked. So how many more solar panels do we have to build for two hundred? So no, that's a good question. Well here's the thing. In order for us to to be more Actually, before I jump into like renewables, because it's a whole thing. For sure. I want to just put one more um, stat out there, kind of to what you were asking about, Tyler, which is like right now, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I checked yesterday, which is about the same kind of day at this time. We would be using about 10% of our grid power would be coming from renewables, right? The the turbines aren't shut down because it's not that cold. So assuming we have some turbine activity, wind power, solar, we're probably getting about 10% of our grid right now coming from renewables. And do you know that average typically on any given day? I I don't know. I can't say for average. When I checked yesterday around this time, it was about 10%. Are those Alberta's only renewables, solar and wind? Our biggest by far is wind. And then we have solar is about a quarter of what we have for wind. And we have some hydro as well. Yeah, uh, we must have a little bit of that. And there's a little bit of biomass. Right. Oh, cool. um, generation. So it's again, if you go to the ASOs, it's actually really interesting. You can see exactly every single yeah. power plant in Alberta, what they're providing to the grid at any given moment. Well, that'd be a great thing that's to use cool. as a teaching tool too. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just yeah. cool to like sift through the data and yeah. like. That's really cool. Yeah. But but if we want to like so like a lot of this is going to come back to like well how do we get more renewable? But the thing is, we don't have a lot of storage. We don't have grid storage. Like. If we had, when you when you add more renewable, you need to also couple it with grid storage so that when times are good, when the wind is howling and the sun is blazing, you can store up mass amounts of electricity. Yeah. So when we get to these minus 40 plus days, day on day, we can start drawing out of that storage and we don't rely on the variable sources in the moment when they're not right. producing. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't currently store electricity. We can a little bit, but... Like it actually shows it on the ASO um, page if we're drawing out of our storage, but they're all sitting at zero. 
mm-hmm. and it's not much. Like I think if you add it all up, it's maybe a couple, like a hundred or two hundred megawatts. Interesting. Okay. Of a grid level storage. What do they do with excess when they're creating more? They don't. So they don't. Largely, just, we don't store it. We just make we it just to use it. But like, does BC borrow it, or do yeah, we, we send ex- it to we California? Can, or? Com- I'm sure it's a highly complicated thing, but we can export it. They they turn down plants output, and oh, like, okay. they, they balance it at any given moment huh. with the supply That's and demand mean, perfectly yeah. balanced. Whether it's exporting or just turning stuff down as we need to. But right? but, but the point remains: storage is not something that we do. Is that is that a technological hurdle or is that like a financial investment hurdle? It, is it's it major infrastructure, like to build grid level storage. Right. So we can do very it. Very expensive, but it's just expensive. It is very expensive. So, like just to give you an example, like pumped hydro is one of the more common grid storages in the United States. Yeah. And the way they do that is when when they have excess electricity, they use it to pump massive amounts of water like an entire oh, lake of water up to a higher elevation so they can use it later and then they revert let it reverse oh, the oh, pumps, that's so cool and they just drain it all back down when they need the power what? and you pump up enough water you'll get you can get a ton of that you yeah. can get all that power back and there's very little loss like you have to you get water evaporation and things like that but largely it's a very efficient system but yeah. you need you need the it's geography yeah. and the infrastructure to have pumped hydro but there's tons of other cool um, grid storage, like they've they've tested like spinning up hundred ton flywheels yeah. in like like you've probably heard of some of yeah, these things like on like that. low resistance bearings yeah. and like in a in a vacuum chamber to like insane speeds and there's so much energy in that flywheel that you can start drawing off that when you need to like you can and, turn off the power to it and it'll still generate electricity yeah, later yeah actually the huh. latest ones that they're doing in inner cities now is basically like lego they're, they're taking a crane and they're stacking heavy concrete blocks <laughs> and this crane is electrical so it stacks the blocks yeah really high and they can do this in a very you don't need the geography anymore you just need to like you just need a city block yeah and you can stack whatever however many thousands of tons of concrete blocks and then when you want to unstack them gravity essentially is is letting you unstack them and produce power back into that local area that's really clever how, actually like, how far we've come technologically but like those solutions are so yeah rudimentary or just like basic they're really cool but they're also way more basic well and you would never have pumped water or before because the amount of energy it takes to pump it up yeah. you're gonna just it's a net zero but yeah. when you have the excess energy that yeah. makes a lot of sense and if you're gonna lose yeah. it anyway that's, yeah. that's why it's cool so these are, you don't want to you don't want to burn precious gas resources to do that but if you have renewables that are you can't use that power anyway use it to to store electricity later, in some yeah. way so it just seems like um a massive investment like it's not just building solar panels right like there's there's a whole another side to that investment exactly that make exactly. it harder for provinces or states to do to do exactly that right yeah is the 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 takeaway maybe just make sure i'm tracking here is that during an incident like in early january where the system is so precarious that we need that we need as much or at least our current amount of um fossil fuel energy like that's like during that emergency thank goodness we had it yeah we were almost 100 percent reliant on it right so that's one takeaway and then the other but it sounds like you're also excited about some of the possibilities for renewable energy is that or yeah, would you say I, that you're excited I would, for i would say i am yeah. yeah i'm just i'm just saying it it comes with this investment sort of and yeah but yeah i yeah. would say sure why not like let's have 
ways of leveraging energy from our environment that has a less less of an impact. Okay. This segment is brought to you by Veldheisen Construction. They have been building incredible homes for over 30 years. The Veldheisen team will guide you step-by-step through the design and build process. The finished product will be your design, your selections, your beautiful home. If you're looking to build in central or northern Alberta, call today to get started. Go to veldheisen.ca or see the show notes to get in touch. All right, so I think we established that Alberta definitely needs its fossil fuel for electricity generation at the moment mm-hmm. and pretty heavily re- heavily reliant on that but we also get a lot of economic benefit from the oil and gas sector but I'm curious perception like because I've been in the industry I kind of know a little bit about that but like what's and I think every Albertan knows that we do because we see the budget impacts when oil prices tank it's headline news right when alberta makes a whole surplus or loses money and so yeah. we kind of get this per- perception that like hey we're heavily reliant on it and we are but perceptions and and quantifying the numbers are can be very different so i'm curious what do you guys think like how reliant in your minds are we economically on the oil and gas sector i think they're very intertwined i don't know if i could explain exactly how when the price of oil goes up it makes alberta (laughs) wealthier because is like there's corporations that are benefiting from that so what's the how do you break down all the how much of that benefit is actually going to the province versus the corporation so i don't get that but i get that it's very Intertwined. I would so how reliant are we economically? I'd say very, but I can't quantify it. I when I came out here from BC, I was the teachers. This is this is twelve years ago. The salaries haven't changed since then, so I'm not like saying it's still great. But when I first came out here, the teacher salaries were very good for Canada. Like they were among the top, um, and I was well aware as to why. Like I, I right, I, I knew that our province was able to afford the, the have the province, yeah. right? And I, and I knew the have came from the oil and gas industry. Like that's that's no secret. Um, so like I, if I sit here and sort of like rip into the oil and gas industry, it's a little hypocritical because I did I did part of, part of the reason why we're out here is because economically it's it was and still is, but was doing well and was able to uh, afford a teacher a, a nice comfortable salary. Uh, I will say, though, for the record, it's been 15 15 years or 12 years since the grid has changed. So maybe we can get on that. Who's our education minister right now? Um, He's a Greek, Greek last name. Okay. uh, Nicolaitis. Nicolaitis. Yeah, he can get on that for us. Anyway, yeah. So that's so. But 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 beyond that, I'm sort of like Tyler. I don't exactly know, you know, tax, you know, how we tax the oil companies and that kind of stuff. Like it's all intertwined, obviously. We talk uh, about economics. Yeah, and I would say cynically, like in the role I'm in, um, in education also, um, it's often l- partly looking at budgets and how a school might benefit from more personnel to support students. And we joke that, you know, depending on who's in power at the time provincially, or is there an election coming up? Because maybe the budgets yeah. will get a little healthier. But knowing that our budget is tied to, or I think it is anyway, maybe I'm wrong about that. Um I wish it was a little less tied to that. Like, I know it's a benefit to people who are working in the industry and making a living, 
but I also wish that more diversification would maybe provide a more stable and secure bottom line from year to year month. And I actually want to start with what you just said around people working in the industry, like Mm -hmm. jobs, start with jobs and then we'll get to budget it because the amount of people working in the industry is also a leads to our, the economics. Absolutely. Totally. Just guessing like what's your, I guess around like how many people work in the industry in Alberta? Eight billion. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the population of the province? Like three or three million? Something like that? like four. Four million? Okay. I bet 18% 18% of people, adults, work in the oil and gas. Wow. I don't know. Good that's guess. my very guess. specific. Yeah. 18 to 20. That's a solid guess. What do you guys think? I'd, I'd say a little higher. So 21. I I think lower. I, I think I think even like 15% is a lot of people. Yeah. But I, oh, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's more, but my gut tells me like we, we there's a lot of other, ah, I don't even know. Like Or <laughs> industries that serve 15. the oil 5. and people. Yeah, I know. Like, maybe, it's, maybe it's hard to categorize exactly. Like they work in the industry okay. let me put you guys out of your misery <laughs> okay. let's get to some numbers here this is painful 85 <laughs> percent. okay so it sort of depends on how you count it so there's there's direct employment through companies that are, are directly employed like producer producing companies or direct service companies of the oil and gas industry right. that may be what i was thinking about but it wouldn't be so that if we just look at those numbers it's definitely smaller mm-hmm. But StatsCan, it's coming from StatsCan, also says there are induced, is the word they use, induced jobs because of the industry. Yeah, yeah. So say you work at a McDonald's in Fort McMurray. You don't, you're not oh. part of the direct employment, but you're only working there Your job because, because there's an oil and gas industry that is... Where does that end though? I mean... So this is why, I don't know how they come up with that, but this is StatsCan official numbers, okay. or what they put out there says that for every formal direct employment of a job there's roughly three induced oh jobs my. that exist because of it would someone teaching a kid in fort mcmurray that would that teacher then be one of those sort of tertiary or is it they, like the guy who owns the coverall shop or it's the like it's insurance companies that provide insurance it's yeah. Yeah. vehicle dealerships that sell vehicles to like fleets and which yeah. to be fair you could do that about any you could industry yep. like for industry sure. if it was logging yeah yeah but, or, but also fair to bring that up too yeah like also, so just say yeah. like these jobs likely wouldn't exist if we didn't have at least in that form so let me give you the numbers yeah um direct employment is around one hundred and forty thousand okay. people oh, in alberta that's okay. way less than i thought yeah so that's that's just direct and then if you if you take the three times that three to one ratio for induced employment okay. because of it you get a total of about five hundred fifty thousand people yeah. total yeah now a lot of those are induced jobs what percentage is that thought you might ask that but that's the next number um if you look at the total working population of alberta ages 15 plus to i don't know what the, i didn't see what the top end of that is but into retirement years there's roughly 2.5 million people huh. that can work in alberta legally i guess oh out of the four million you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. Gotcha. so if you if you sort of take well 550 generously Plus, as a percentage of that, it's 22%. Whoa, look at this. That was pretty close. Yeah, so nice you, guys, job, guys. you guys were solid. Yeah. Wow. So it's a lot. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah. So, you know, and that is all like, okay, you could look at Alberta's revenue from a personal income tax perspective. And if yeah. you assume that 22% of your population are just paying income tax and they're generating that from their work with the industry, you can do some rough math, right? Yeah, so let me sure. give you, let me pivot to those, the dollars. Do you guys know what Alberta's 23, 24 total revenue is in their budget? I do, but I'm gonna wait for you to say it. 
No, I actually don't. <laughs> total <laughs> revenue for Alberta's income? Yeah, in our in our 23-24 budget, what's our total revenue? Oh boy. I'm sucky at guessing that we're I should stop asking you guys. $225 billion. It's high. That's too high? Yeah. Yeah. Dang. I love your okay, questions. Tyler, Tyler keep, what's your guess? Keep asking us questions. What did you say again? The other one. <laughs> Lower than Chris. Price is right rules. You are the winner. Okay. <laughs> A dollar. Okay. So let's go through it. So um, our total Alberta revenue for 23-24 is $74 Gee. Come on, now, Alberta. Now that's forecasted. Let's get up to 225. But given how far we are through the cycle, that's, that's pretty accurate. Because um, we did the mid 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 budget update for the fiscal year, um, so what do we get money from from the industry? There's three sources. We get direct royalties from production. That's one bucket. Yeah. We get personal income tax for workers. That's another bucket. And we get corporate income tax. That's the third bucket. And again, I'm not a finance guy. This is just my understanding, interpreting sense. the budget. But direct royalties is around 20 billion. The so this is like when Tyler's question was yeah, like, how so, does the province so actually we, make money from yes, this? When companies produce, Alberta gets a royalty on yeah. that. That, for all the products we produce, all the companies, direct royalties is around $20 billion of the $74 billion. But that's uh, not just oil wow. and gas? Or is, are those numbers just related to oil and gas? Or is this their whole budget? So well, 74 is their gross budget. Yeah. yeah. And then 20. 20 of that comes from royalties. From oil and gas. Now it's price dependent. So that I'm just sure. talking the 23, 24 year, right? So that's- and That must sway that a lot year, year That's why you hear the headlines, yeah. right? When when the price tanks, that number that goes down. That 20 billion goes down. And it's always great when they have their budgets, assuming that's gonna go on every year, right? Yeah. So it, and, and that's the big number. So that's, that's, that's a huge percentage. Number. So the, if you take the sort of 22% of Albertans benefit from working with or for the industry, and you just take a rough calculation of our total of 15 billion of our of personal income tax that the province is gonna get this fiscal year, mm -hmm. about 3.3 billion is coming from that pool of workers. Okay, sure. The third category is corporate income tax. And again, that varies heavily based on profitability of companies. But if we take last year's, last year, oil and gas companies paid almost half of the corporate income tax total revenue from Alberta. So if we apply that to this fiscal year, yeah. now the companies are probably a little less profitable than they were last year, because last year was a really good year, but they're probably gonna pay about 3 billion in corporate taxes. So if you add it all up, it's 26.5 billion of the 70 of the 74 billion yeah. which is about 36% yeah. is coming in from that sector in some way shape or form. Yeah. That's my best understanding of the numbers as I've okay. been able to research okay. it. Okay. Oh, that's good. And yeah, I when at the beginning when you asked I said, "Well, I know it's a lot, but <laughs> yeah. I can't quantify it." That really helps, right? Like that basically a third. Yeah. Right. Like we're very reliant. Think of how much economic. more it would have been if they kept the corporate rate at twelve percent. Hey, come on. What is it now? I think it's eight. I think it was ten, and then it went to twelve. So and it doesn't matter. I'll hear. You haven't made this argument, but I, I've heard this argument before when people are in support of Alberta oil and gas, and some people when they're arguing against environmentalism or. or trying to solve the problems of climate change they'll say look it, like are you are you saying that we should just get rid of all of these jobs like you're gonna screw alberta if we go down that path but i don't think that's what i don't think that's what 
an environmentalist is arguing either. Right? So is that the first of all, is that an argument you're trying to get to here where like we we can't we shouldn't go towards environmental solutions because look at the impact on our jobs? Or how would you respond to an environmentalist who says, um, yeah, I get that, but like we need to prioritize the environment over some of those numbers. Yeah. I mean, technically that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment, oh, but sorry. my teaser to that is I'm a very much of the, the more I, and Graham, you said this in the last podcast about this topic, the more you get to know about something, a topic, the more you realize how nuanced and hard it is. And basically where I, where I generally land on the spectrum is I don't think either extreme end of that answer is right. I think the right answer is somewhere in the middle. And that's my, just my teaser for now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a hard answer to come, come aligned to. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, I, I don't have, I'm not going to give you a dramatic answer okay. because I'm not on either end of the spectrum. I'm going to require those sound bites though for our listeners. So. <laughs> I know, I know. So I'm going to disappoint no, you by giving kidding. you maybe a boring answer, but I think what we're trying to talk about through all this is, is there are a lot of things to balance in this equation yeah. and there's no right, wrong answer. Largely there's, there's puts and takes. There's going to be winners and losers for everything that happens. Mm -hmm. And someone's got to decide who those winners and losers are largely going to be and what the right trade-off is going to be. Right. I don't have a, a crystal clear answer. I just yeah. think it's a compromised balance somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and I that's what I sensed your position would be. But I, I just know that there are some people who would use the data you just gave as an argument for an extreme position. Right. Right. So yeah, I just sure. wanted to give you kind of the opportunity to but say that's not where you're going. You're not trying yeah. to trap us into Oh, I'm, I'm fully trapped now. I'm it's all... where we're at right now. Like these are the yeah. numbers. This is right off the government yeah. of Alberta's like inf published yeah. information. Yeah. If so, we're going to have a discussion about this, I don't want it based off a bumper sticker. That, right. This is what yeah. I no, this want is really to hear. Good. Yeah. But there's one more number I wanted to before we move totally out of this segment. Like is GDP. So Alberta's GDP for oil and gas is 22 percent or 73 billion of the total GDP of Alberta. Right. So. You guys know it. You probably teach it in, in school. GDP, Tyler. What's the definition of GDP? I have a mouthful of muffin. <laughs> Sorry, I picked the, the wrong gross person. domestic product. Hey, one well, of your fellow teacher colleagues yeah. could maybe rescue you here if you okay, want. I think I'm good now. Uh, it's you didn't define it at all. You're just asking I what's yet. okay. Um, gross domestic product is what it stands for, and it's can be measured just by how much you produce um, as a if it's a country or a province, but it can also be measured by how much is being spent. So in this case, system. it's I think it's the definition of how much is produced. So total mm -hmm. okay. value of all goods and services okay. being right. produced. Being produced. So for oil and gas, it's 22% of what Alberta produces is considered attributable to oil and gas. Which is a lot. Yes. I also like it, it is a lot, but I almost would have guessed a bit more. Maybe just yeah, because the reputation Alberta has. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you would think it'd be more than a fifth. Um, anyway, well, but it would be anything. Like it's not just physical barrels of oil, bar like uh, physical objects. It's okay services services to, that yeah. you're oh, selling okay. to others, right, right, and, right. and the yeah, value of right. those of the things produced. It goes into this calculation as well, sure. right? Okay. So, yeah. but you guys might be interested because you're all teachers. What is the GDP for the educational services sector of Alberta? 
<laughs> no well, idea. I've always heard that education and healthcare are, are, are just massive. Like they're just humongous chunks, right? So but it's got to be GDP. But how do you measure what yeah, is produced how do you measure by that? education? I don't know how they. Yeah, that's get is into it the, the value of the but salaries but the of the people of in the that services industry generated by that business. Yeah. is what goes into the calculation somehow. I don't know. Well, since my numbers have been way off today, I'll start. I'm going to say as a percentage or yeah, dollar percentage. value. So oil and gas is 22% of Alberta's GDP, which is the yeah, highest. It's 5.7%. Okay. 11.2. <laughs> and I want to raise. Oh, I almost did a nose laugh there. <laughs> I I thought higher, so I'll, I'll go 13. Nice. The correct answer is 3.6%. Oh, boy. Way up. That's why our salaries aren't haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Three point, okay. Yeah. Just interesting. an interesting comparison. Do you health care as well as a percentage? I believe it's there. Yes, I don't remember oh, off the top of my head where we can look it up where it is. But yeah, yeah, be curious to know that too. But that's that's the yeah, that's really hard to kind of think about. I think I was thinking more like the budget allocation, mm-hmm. which oh, that would be much higher, much, yeah. much higher. That's yes, a, but yes. yeah, the this is more talking about like the impact on Alberta's economic prosperity. Right, is much smaller, and that makes sense, I think, because how do you? It's hard to measure, and yeah, yeah. yeah. So cool. those are all the numbers that I wanted to go through with you guys. Does that, does that scratch all the right itches? I think it does, and I think that's something that often is missed in, in these kind of discussions. It's like a baseline to start with. Like if we're going to have a discussion that where we have our biases and our um, maybe we have disagree on things, we shouldn't. We should start with things that we do agree on, like numbers, facts, which can sometimes not happen in discussions. Yeah. Where we can't even agree that the mountains are viewable. Oh so, boy, deep cut. It's cool. cool. There. Okay, so then, so thanks, Kenton. That kind of sets us up nicely with our numbers. Uh, should we have a little pause and then we'll move into some? Maybe, maybe you can finally tell us how to fix everything in this province. Yeah, that's that's not going to happen. Okay. but, oh. <laughs> but we'll we'll figure it out together. Okay. All right. This segment is brought to you by the King's University in Edmonton, Alberta offering an exceptional liberal arts education from a Christian perspective. King's degree programs integrate internships, work learning, study abroad experiences, and research opportunities. The King's University, bright hope for tomorrow. I was just told I'm a good tee up guy, so I'm gonna tee up the next segment. Um, We've talked a lot about economics, and we've talked a lot about our reliance in Alberta on um, they are existing infrastructure and what we have going on right now. But something that I think is missing and I'm curious about is um, balancing economics with environmental issues and kind of how you would prioritize those things. So Alberta has a budget. Sure, there's some responsibility there to provide for the people of Alberta. But is there any room to sacrifice some economic gain for environmental progress. That's kind of where I want to go. It's not really a question, but do you think we can go there, Kenton? Yeah, 100%. I mean, these are this is a tricky balance to try and find, but I, I think it's worth noting that like the industry largely recognizes that they have to move and they're, they are moving and investing in lower emission more sustainable 
future progress. Like there's this net zero 2050 target, right? So no no emissions from operations are net zero effect on a, on GHGs by 2050. Okay. So that's yep. can I before sorry I don't mean to interrupt you so quickly, but can I, I've, I've always wanted I've always been curious. There is this push and realization from these companies that that's where they need to go. Yeah. Where does that initiative come from? Do you think mm. generally, like, yeah. are they are, are they saying it needs to come because we're going to be pushed that way anyway, or are they saying the climate is getting effed? We need to save the planet. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it, that there's no. It's a cynical e- question, and, and yeah, but but it also I genuinely don't know that answer. Maybe or either, but do you know what I mean? Right. So so what I know from an Alberta standpoint is all the six major producers of Alberta have come together to acknowledge that that is a requirement that they have to get to as an industry uh, with with support from the government but but largely on the on the, on their own okay from an investment standpoint so there's something called the pathways alliance that exists so all six of those members are partnering up and yeah. this because it's not considered a competitive thing sure it's a license to operate it's a license to keep producing in the future and we have to get to net zero by 2050 as the big okay. as the big goal. Yeah. And companies differ on sort of their stance, maybe on how fast and what technologies to use. Um, but largely, they're all aligned in Alberta to getting there as the big goal. Just to give you some quantification, I'm sorry, I know we're going back to numbers, and yeah. but right now, um, in about a nine-year segment, so 2021 is when they they got this this coalition together. Between then, 2021 and 2030, they've committed to investing about 23 billion in both deploying technologies to reduce carbon, or sorry, reduce GHG emissions, as well as research and development for, for better technologies and better ways to reduce emissions. Yeah. Okay, how much money? 20? 23 billion. Decent. Tyler, when you asked that question, I was wondering, could the, if, if there's an economic sacrifice, like if that's the word we're using, to in order to support the environment, does that have to be on the backs of Albertans who work in the industry or could the corporations be responsible for at least half of you know what I mean like yeah like could their revenues be lowered in order to do what you're saying and maybe that's what that mm-hmm. 23 billion dollars is reinvestment technology yeah. product I, I think maybe a, a better word than sacrifice would be like re prior prioritization of resources but I agree with that, but a guy working in the industry who's raising a family will say, well, that's actually a sacrifice, not a reappropriatory for themselves. Right. And so, but you asked, would I rather the corporation do it or the workers? 100% the corporation. Yeah, yeah. Like, but... Is that realistic? I think a corporation's motive and mandate is to satisfy shareholders and make money. Yeah. So, whether there's a... So this is my cynical kind of reaction to that. There's this goal, 2050 net zero. They're doing it out of necessity so they can be still exist as a company within our like global. There is a push for environmentalism and responding to climate change. So they'll do what they can to stay viable economically. And maybe their stakeholders are demanding more yeah, right. environmental responsibility. So when Graham asks, like, are they doing it because they love the environment? My guess is no. But I, I'm just curious if there was no push at all, but there was the science, what would they do? That's, that's all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
Hard to say. Hard I mean, to there's yeah. so many companies. The companies have swung. I've seen various statements from various companies. There's companies that are much more on the on the forefront of of being of being more environmentally conscious and sensitivity and there's companies that are less about it and then leadership changes of those companies and they change their stance on things and right. like it, it so it's I've almost unfair it, to say all corporations i've seen an ebb and flow massively in the industry so it's it is a hard answer to just give you a single soundbite on it um there's an interesting analogy that like i heard a story a little while back not a story but uh you know the phenomenon of antibiotic resistance mm-hmm Right, so we're you know our antibiotics are becoming less and less effective because yeah. of bugs that are becoming resistant to them, and they blame partly the blame is going to the doctors who are prescribing antibiotics, maybe doing it too much, or and it's creating this sort of impending doom of like now we have no effective Super antibiotics strange, anymore. Yeah. Right. It was actually it triggered a good analogy for me. So so because the doctors respond to that by saying the producers, so to speak, hey, I have a I have a moral and ethical obligation to provide treatment to my patients. I, I acknowledge that I am contributing to antibiotic resistance, but my first and foremost priority is to take care of my patients. Other people are working on new antibiotic opportunities. So that is analogous to a little bit like the oil and gas industry saying, hey, we have an ethical obligation to provide power, energy for our society that requires it and needs it at a affordable price and yes, we acknowledge that this is contributing to greenhouse gas emissions that are, so yes, we want to steward it well, but we, we, have, an, we have an obligation to, to the people that use these products. What is that? Yeah. Does that trigger you, I, uh, little, Tyler? A little bit. <laughs> I, like, kinda, I think, I I think we have might. a, it's an interesting, because uh, with the analogy, analogy, the patient, you, you didn't say stakeholder, but that's what popped into my head. So the, we are, as a doctor, you're accountable to your patients, right? You have this. Or, or customers. Or customers, sure. But I think at, when you're a huge corporation, you want to satisfy the, the stakeholders and customers, both. Do you mean the shareholders when and you say stakeholders? those might be two different yeah, people, sorry. you're saying. Yeah, shareholders. Saying shareholders, okay. Yeah, shareholders. Sure. Um, well, stakeholders and stakeholders, so, so but customers and shareholders would be your combined stakeholders. Yes, yeah. So all of those things, um, which I think it kind of works, but I think there's with the analogy does kind of work, but I think what's missing is this obligation to with climate change is our future generations. Like I think that obligation to provide a world where with clean drinking water and an environment and nature that is still here is a higher moral obligation than right providing a product for for people in the short term yeah i kind of think like this isn't exactly the same but um like cigarette companies for a long time could advertise to to kids right like because their their number one mandate was this is i'll get somewhere in a sec and then, and then the government realized, like, well, actually, you're you're, it's showing that the product you're selling is actually killing people or, or giving them cancer, and so we're gonna tax the crap out of you. Like, we're gonna tax you way more. We're gonna put all these kind of restrictions on you. Cigarette companies complained about it. It's like you know all this stuff about like capital. That it was a battle. Eventually, the, the and I believe the government had a right to do that. Like, if they're if they're if they're there to to protect people consumers they have the moral imperative that was and so that was their job the government had to do that and i i kind of think it's similar to this in in the sense that like i know what the job of the doctor is and what the but the government 
is another body that their job is to say is to balance those things together which is what it tries to do and just say you know what like yeah you you can come in you can you, you know you're making your you're providing us a service but because of these consequences that it's having we're gonna we're sorry if we're gonna offset those with technologies we gotta tax you more and i think i just i think my instinct is always like and the oil companies will threaten and they've done it in the past they threatened to leave alberta they threaten all kinds of stuff and i get it there's other places in the world where there's less restriction less taxes and if they want to do that I almost want to be like, well, that sucks. That that that's you would like hold that over people, but that I also don't blame them really for that. So to me, I, I like that analogy, Kenton, quite a lot. But I also think it's missing that like that governmental kind of oversee right. yep. that I want my governments to protect me. Sh- uh, pop sugar tax on pop, like things like that, where yeah. it's like there's evidence that it's hurting people, so we need to regulate you more. Yes. The problem with oil and gas is that it is not. Well, we are, I think we are starting to feel it now. But I mean, this climate change thing has been this sort of like boogeyman in the background, you know, for decades. That It's, it's hard to be tangible with that, yeah. right? And, and I think that is happening. And there's carbon taxes and things like that yes. that have come into play. Yes. And people have, you know, riled against that for various reasons. But I think there is a place for regulatory oversight to ensure that yeah. we are moving macro level, 50,000 foot view, yeah. in the right direction. And balancing these things the challenge is to do it in a in a sustainable way that lets these companies and this industry still provide affordable energy to albertans which powers our society as we know it today mm-hmm. and also um move forward in a way that gets us to where we ultimately need to be because this this 23 billion dollars of investment that's happening right now to to reduce emissions that's largely because companies are profitable and they can make that investment. If a company is in the negatives, bleeding money every year, this, this investment dries up. So if you, if you create an economic environment that does not let them make profit, you also take away the investment dollars that would go into that. Or you're pillaging that and then you're deciding you can allocate it better as a government to other things. And not, to, good the, not yeah. to let the companies do it, right? Yeah. So there's always, like back to what I said earlier, there's always trade-offs. There's people that are going to, yeah. but where do you want to put that and power? I'm not, and I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. What, what frustrates me though is politically, it's just kind of a shit show right now, yeah. right? Like where there's, I would argue some political parties wouldn't even agree on the science of climate change to begin mm-hmm. with. And so it, I can't expect them to make those tough choices. Um, does that make sense? Like, so it's it's almost like I agree with everything you've said, but it's like it just frustrates me that like we can't even like agree political spectrum wise that there's a problem. Well, and even if we do agree, even if yeah, how we then respond to that agreement exactly. and what we do yeah. about it and how fast we do yeah. it with how big of an impact is is a massive yeah. debatable topic. That twenty three billion is that the top six companies between now and twenty fifty? That's like no spread between, out. No, that's phase one between now and twenty thirty. So the next seven yeah, years. Yeah, that's a huge investment. Because the top five oil companies made about thirty-eight billion last year. So like tw- twenty-three sounds like a pretty good number, but in terms of their entire, it's not. It's, right. it's a lot. It's, a, they, it's more than I thought. Absolutely, companies thought. still pay their shareholders. Yeah, they're not going to use all stock. their profits to I, invest I, I in new technology. Have to, but yeah. I just there's yeah I, I I guess my instinct tells me that they haven't had to pay their fair share that, mm. and that, that's probably totally biased yeah. but I would just if I was to guess I just kind of wish our government in Alberta had been a little more proactive in taxation right. more, more 
So, so my view just is... Just we'd be in a better spot. But again, that's just my instinct. Who knows? When companies make money, what, what do they do with that money? Well, they pay it to shareholders as a dividend. They invest it in, in these types of things. Or they invest it in... Re, like. Um, growing their they get bigger more, they, yeah. you know finding more product finding more oil finding more gas to bring to bear to keep prices down to make sure that the you know these companies can keep producing for a long term they have to reinvest in their so I mean those are the three places the money's going right? and then of course the taxes and and the royalties that goes yeah. to the government right so so if you want to be if you want a part of that well you can become a shareholder and you can participate in that and you also participate in the money that's coming in through the, ta- the you know, the, what did we say, the, the 36% of revenue. So you participate in that. And then, so really it's a question about where do you want these companies to, in- after, after that, where do you want these companies to go? take it away from the shareholders and invest it in this? Well, then you got to put a regulatory framework in place that says, and what you do then when you do something like that is you, you take away investment opportunities from other companies. And we've seen that happen in Alberta. Almost all the international players, the Shells and the Exxons and the Totals and the big international BP, they've all left Alberta. They don't invest in Alberta anymore. And there's partly because from a federal perspective, we have reduced and impacted the ability to do business in Alberta. Mm -hmm. So there have been compromises made and we've seen the implications of that. We are no longer in the boom phases we were years ago where a lot of international companies are coming to Alberta to invest here. So again, every policy you put in play will have an an impact in some way, shape or form. So it's where do you want to take your licks in order to give, Mm -hmm. give give that to someone else? That makes sense to me. Maybe it's just more the, the capitalistic sense of permanent growth that just drives me nuts. You know what I mean? Like it's like you just kind of have to do it that yeah, way. And but I'm, I'm but arguing that a healthy industry yeah. is our best path, as per the Pathways Alliance, right. our right. best path to to do the kind of things we know we need to do. Right. So so you would say right now, Kenton, your outlook with this 2050 goal, I'm definitely more cynical than than maybe others. Do you feel like um, it's attainable? Do you feel like companies are serious about that goal? And do you think like we're moving in the right direction? Like, are you? Oh man, because you're, you're not. Question. Cause, cause I, you, I yeah. know you're not a climate skeptic. Like, you, I think you you believe the science. So, like, your outlook on the future is it is it is it positive? Is it hopeful I, for for us moving? Or do you not? What do you? How do you feel? Bef- Tyler, I, I noticed you were trying to jump in a couple times before we get to another big question. <laughs> do we want to? I, I want to go. I was going to say sure. something similar to it. Graham said there just that I think the a lot of the things you you laid out of where this all needs to come from it all has to do with still profit right like who's gonna where are you taking that profit from Shell left Alberta because they're not gonna make as much profit here and I think my problem with that is that I don't think that should be the basis for decision making but Graham kind of summed it up that is the system and you've said it too like that is our framework that we live in I wish it was different too but where decisions are made based on profit and that just makes me it frustrates me yeah so I don't really have a question or anything Graham kind of summed it up a lament yeah yeah so Kenton you can't get out of the question are you hopeful (laughs) are you happy with the direction things are going by nature I'm an optimist yeah um I, I, there's lots of examples in the past where we've identified a major problem and a major issue, 
you know, I think you guys talked about it in the last podcast about the ozone. The CFCs. And we've largely like, hey, we got, we rallied behind that. We figured out, hey, this is causing an issue. There's ways we can get rid of this and reduce this over time. And we found viable paths to do that. So I think fundamentally I'm an optimist and yes, I think we can and will get there. It's a matter of how fast. Is it in time to achieve some of these big targets that the world is rallying around, you know, 1.5 by 20, 1.5, I forget. I, 2035 maybe? It changes a little bit every cop, you know, but is it, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be fast enough? That's the big question. And if we, if it, the answer is no, which a lot of people think, yeah. then who do we, what do, what do we take from to, 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 to get, to get there, to get going faster, yeah. right? Cause someone's going to have to give up something. Like if Alberta's going to invest more of the 74 billion they're bringing in, where's it coming from? Yeah. Are we taking it away from someone? Are we taking it away from the oil companies? Yeah. Are we taking it away from someone else by reducing expenses? Like where is it coming from? But if we don't, we're taking, in my mind, if we don't take it away from one of those things, we're taking it away from our children and our grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so that's it's a trade. And humans are, we're biased to prioritize ourselves and in now, the moment right and not think 50 years out or even yeah. 20 years out and do the hard things now so that in 20 years we're better off. That is a hard sell. It always has been. That's why the CFC thing is quite miraculous. I mean, I know that wasn't as difficult of a thing to tackle the, the ozone, but it is kind of cool that it actually did. It wasn't something that like got fixed that day. It took some time. Yeah. It's a good example. Yeah, it is. And it's yeah. not just an oil and gas problem. Like yeah. oil and gas produces about 25% of Alberta's GHG emissions. Right. So who produces the rest of it? All the consumers of it and users of it. We do cows, other, yeah. Other industries do it. Right. So it's an, it's a bigger problem than just an oil and gas problem. Yeah, for sure. I think what makes me frustrated is just the, the discourse around it. It's just so heated and angry. Mm -hmm. Everyone assumes everyone else is super far one way or the other. Whereas I think most people are probably, or want to be more measured and more reasonable in the middle. It's just we don't hear that. Like that's not what makes good sound bites. Yeah, and that's what makes it. A talk like this feels great because we can maybe not agree on everything, but we're not. <laughs> I don't think you're trying to kill the planet. You don't. You know, like we don't yeah, think that. No. <laughs> but I see or hear certain things, and I think the and, worst. And on top of all that, yeah. it's not even just about GHG emissions. It's about land use. It's about water use. Yeah, it's absolutely. about pollution. Those yeah. are all super important, right? So you can't just put all your eggs in the GHG basket and ignore land use and water use and, and pollution impacts to the environment. Like those are critical right. things we have to manage and And those steward. actually might be more short-term Those are short-term, yeah, 100%. Ken, you've worked for a few different uh, companies, oil and gas companies. Um, do you, were there major differences that you felt between them in terms of how they run? Yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, like, you mean internally? I don't, I don't need specifics. I just like generally when I think of the companies, I think of them as all one fat guy at a desk. Like a desire <laughs> to cigar. take care of things like the, more. The Monopoly man sitting at the top <laughs> on the top <laughs> floor. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. It came. But you know, like, like, did you, yeah, were there differences between the companies that you know? Yeah, they have different cultures internally. They have different areas of focus. You can see where, you know, the company's putting their efforts yeah. and the way senior leadership communicates about certain things okay. to the you know people. So yeah, it ebbs and flows, but, and it can be quite different when you, when you swap out a CEO, it's just to, to the outsider, it's, you know, it's just a news article about, oh, some new CEO came into play. Yeah. 
but internally it can it can change the, it can change the culture and the messaging yeah and it can put focus on places that you didn't have focus on before right okay but largely every company is focused on safe reliable operations fundamentally and foundationally because everything we aspire to do beyond that is premised on safe reliable operations that's the consistent message that's always permeated the industry just something more to ask you yeah yeah question chris any uh, any thoughts here as we wind it's already over an hour it's been a fantastic talk it, I, like you said before i think the the truth is always is sort of a little more gray than the black and white that sometimes this particular topic will get portrayed in media yeah. or even in maybe around like dinner tables when people are having conversation there's a lot tied to this obviously it's a huge part of our own province and country's history and current reality yeah it's good to hear some of these numbers and just to hear you express some of this and it yeah. doesn't necessarily make me know what to do next with my own decisions <laughs> we're gonna bike home. I have That's to right heat my home in the winter but uh, yeah, I appreciate the information can when you hear um, a government talk about like um, pursuing coal like a new coal mine in the mountains maybe you hear something like that to disappoint you like are you kind of like ah why yeah. is that okay yeah, i mean my Just gut reaction to that is like yeah we have better better tech we have much cleaner better technologies to to extract energy than to go to coal coal is the worst of the worst right like that's our no one wants to be doing that anymore yeah. and like we don't do that here but other yeah. parts of the world still invest in coal and you know then it gets into sort of like hey we we had our chance with coal yeah we did our polluting with it you know we got the advantages of it now are we going to stop everyone else from doing their progression 100%. through energy right like yeah. it's a it's a humanity sort of hey i don't know it's, we used coal like crazy to, to get ourselves to a certain point yeah right? and it really did a lot of good it, in, it, <laughs> you know it, it took off our industrial revolution right yeah. so it's hard to wag our finger and now we're now. saying others can't do that yeah. they have to skip that and jump straight to lower emission type yeah. of of technologies well, right but, they, but but it is there maybe they can they do could, it if we yeah, have they the could, technology and then maybe ready. we share some of the benefits that we've reaped they don't have to go through the pain of we retroactively yeah. share yeah. some of those benefits somehow. yeah but, yeah ken did you have any as we kind of wind down our time that flew by that conversation um anything else that you wanted to maybe bring up or or talk about or is that kind of what you had in mind for today I mean, I think we got through the basics. You guys, you guys were pretty easy on me. You didn't ask me too many super pointed, hard questions. Yeah. Tyler, you were you were surprisingly generous. Thank you for that. <laughs> if you want to say something, you know, a little bit more stern to me, I'm, I'm okay with Let's that. Let's step like, outside off yeah, the mic here. Yeah. No, I kind of I kind of knew that we you know we wouldn't agree on everything, but I think we I think one thing you mentioned. I just have more questions. Honestly, after we talk like this, I just have more questions, and I I, I want to learn more. Because like you mentioned earlier, you learn something, now you have two more questions about that thing. And I like how you came kind of humbly. You don't know all the answers, right? You know a lot in a certain field. You've, you've had experience, but no one knows every answer. But uh, yeah. So Tyler, why don't you... Uh, why don't you sort of just encapsulate the entire hour <laughs> with a sound bite? <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, I can't. But I, I guess what it comes down to for me is is a question of who's better suited i think we agree on the problems that we're facing generally but then how are we how is society to tackle the problem is it the public sector or the private sector who's best suited whose motivations are in line with our moral prerogatives 
And that's really tricky because sometimes I don't know either one yeah. is best suited yeah. to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, email us if you know. You know the answers. Yeah. Kenton, um, you're sticking around for confessions and recommendations. Yeah, I am. No I'm question. here to the bitter end. No questions. Okay. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll finish up our episode. Mm-hmm. sometimes when you're sitting in bean brokers with your best buddies and you've been braiding each other for a while and a <laughs> breadth of topics this isn't working alliteration some bees thing. there is a pretty good couple of, yeah um bravo myself okay we're gonna do confessions and recommendations i'm not gonna do any because i i hosted this i mean kenton you you hosted it you you did all the preparations you did an amazing job but i'll take the credit for it so we're gonna you end facilitated yeah well i did what i could uh, we're going to start with our, yeah, you guys can go in whatever order we want. I might start with Chris on this one. Chris, do you have a recommendation or a confession? I do. It comes from an email from new listener and new friend Ashley, who sent this email about a completely different topic, but I had kind of plugged our podcast in a previous email. She says, as well, I've been listening to your podcast. I enjoy the tone and variety in the conversations you're having. I always want more episodes of CBC's Someone Knows Something, and I find your episodes have that same feel. Hopefully, the implied David Ridge, Ridge in compliment is indeed a compliment. It is, Ashley. Thank you. And that made me go back to the 2016 podcast, Someone Knows Something, Season 1 by David Ridgen. He's exploring the uh, disappearance of a young boy named Aiden. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, it's very high quality, well done, super interesting, compelling, totally sad, tragic, but um, it's worth a listen. But he's one of my all-time favorite podcast hosts ever. So to be compared to him, Graham, what does that feel like? I mean, I think we've made it. Having Ketten here, I already felt that way, and now... And it's like over the top. Thank you. David Ridgen. Can you reach out to David and... I think I will now. Yeah? David, we've been compared (laughs) to you. (laughs) Do you know that podcast yet? By ourselves. <laughs> no, this is an outside source. Oh, that was an outside email. Yeah, 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 fair enough. You guys have earned that comparison. Thank you. Then. It's a great podcast, yeah. But also by ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Kenton, actually, maybe we'll end with Kenton. Tyler, do you sure. have something? Yeah, I have a confession. It has to do with nose laughing, laughing out your nose. Uh, we were talking about it before we started recording. Kenton actually asked, what, what happens if I laugh out my nose? Does it go straight into the mic? Graham said... Yes, I've had to deal with that with these other guys a couple times. And myself. So we, we talked and joked around about it a bit. And then about 10 seconds into the episode, hopefully Graham should keep it in now. <laughs> uh, let's, listener, see if you can hear it There's a, or if you can recall it. Um, I, I let one out pretty early in the episode, a just solid nose laugh. And... <laughs> yeah, I, that's my confession. And I, I was feeling pretty high and mighty. Like, I knew it was Chris that Graham was editing. <laughs> and most I actually of his wasn't sure. And then I I did it right away. So. To be clear, we've all done it. So I just want to say I've yeah. edited lots of stuff. New yeah. goal, get everybody to nose laugh once per episode. Yeah. I don't think you did one nose laugh, Kent, in the entire episode. I think I did a couple oh, little okay. ones. But I was sensitive to it because we spent some time joking about it at the beginning. So yeah. I, I really tried not to. <laughs> just to make your life easier. I know how much time Thank and you. effort you put oh, into editing these podcasts. Not much. Like, they are masterpieces of perfection. Oh, are, so, I agree. Well, they are something. Kenton, yeah. do you have anything you want to share? Yeah, I know it's a little thematically. It's on the topic of podcasts. And okay. you even mentioned earlier on in, your and I, in the relationship you and I had, I 
mentioned Skeptic's Guide to the yeah, Universe, which is that. still a podcast I enjoy to this day, but I've got another favorite that I think is worth recommending because it's on the theme of science and pop culture, and that's Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Maybe you guys nice. know it already. I don't know if it's ever been recommended on this podcast. Not this no. podcast. No. Okay. No. No. But um, he's got a comedic, he always has a comedic co-host. Um, Chuck Nice is his normal one. Okay. And it's just the perfect blend of humor, learning, science, and various ast- astronomy I've and those kind of things. I've never listened to that podcast, it's, so I'll it's highly worth. If you go back and sift through my favorite versions of that podcast are things you thought you knew. Okay. Hmm. Where he, like, basic, just puts, like, how light, like, lightning and how storms were. Like, things that you have an idea about. I love when you get rocked, right, by something like, oh, I knew this my whole life. I know exactly how lightning works. And then when you get a deeper insight into it, you're like, oh, Dang, I had no idea how cool that was and how it actually yeah. worked. Oh, that sounds awesome. I love getting rocked like that, right? And this podcast does that regularly. So, cool. Star, Star, Star Talk. Talk. Star Talk. Are you adding it right now to your list yep. there, Chris? Subscribing. Ding. Nice. Speaking of uh, subscribing, if you want to email, <laughs> that's, a, that's not a segue at all. If you want to email the show and thank Kenton for being such a great guest yeah. or say anything else to us, what are you going to do? You know, the other thing I haven't thought of before, but you could actually send us digital gift cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe you could do that through <laughs> harmoniousgentleman at gmail.com. You don't have to do that, but you can. But you literally could. Yeah. <laughs> you could send us an audio file of you asking a question. Or rejecting that idea. Or yeah. rejecting that idea. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, Facebook. I don't know if you follow things on Facebook, but I don't know. like them. You give like a little them. thumbs up. And Can you still poke people on Facebook? I don't know. I was just wondering about that. But um, hmm. I thought you've had some good posts lately, Tyler, on oh, thank Instagram. You. you make good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah thanks. Uh, cool. Well, that about does it for us today, guys. We uh, thanks you. Thank you again to uh, what's it called again? Bean Brokers. Bean Brokers. This is a cool little coffee shop. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good vibe. And thanks to Kenton. Thanks for coming. Oh man, yeah. making the drive, wearing the shirt, coming prepared with notes. Couldn't ask for a better guest. Yeah, yeah thanks awesome. for having me. It's been awesome. Okay. Well, having said that, Chris, what do you yeah, think? That's great. We got a bit of a drive back. Yeah. Looking forward to talking about the environment on the way. <laughs> I can't wait. Maybe I'll find up a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time on <laughs> Harmonious Gentlemen. Harmonious gentlemen